released on Sunday, July 20th, 2014. This Agile Life, episode 57. I've got a story for you. Our sponsor tonight is CodeShip. CodeShip is continuous delivery made simple. Try CodeShip for free. Setup only takes three minutes at CodeShip.io. The software industry transforms more and more every day. Agile methods are quickly replacing traditional ones. The question is, are you agile enough? This podcast is devoted to agile and lean software development. Time to welcome your agile coaches on This Agile Life. Hello, everyone. I'm the host of This Agile Life, John Sextro. Joining me today, I have two co-hosts, Lee McCauley. Hey, John. How's it going? It's going well, Lee. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Wonderful. Our other co-host today, Jason Tice. John, I am ready like a well-groomed and polished story on the Kanban board, ready to be pulled into development. Wow. I so thought he was going to say polishing something else. No. No. And, I, and for our listeners out there, I do have a teaser for you guys. Since uh, recently, uh, we're doing right now, this is episode 57. And recently, I had an opportunity to listen to episode 55, where, well, let's just say John and Amos decided to talk about the whole team approach. And, well, they did a couple things in their discussion that, if you listen carefully, kind of undermine the whole team approach. So when Amos comes back and joins us, because we do value his contributions to the podcast, he's a member of our whole team, we're going to get into that. So you keep listening to this Agile Life, and trust me, it will be pretty good when it comes up. Man, that's like a super deep tease because that's like multiple episodes away. Well, best of all, we don't know because we don't do planning. Oh, heaven forbid we plan. Last responsible moment, Jay. Yes. So when Amos decides to join us at the last responsible moment, we'll have a reprise or a reprise, however you say it, of the whole team approach. Is a reprise like when you feel like you really have to go to the bathroom, but then it goes away? Uh, maybe to John Sextro, but, uh, normally in a beautiful musical, that's when you take one of the main musical themes and you use it again in the score in a shorter form. Ah, I guess I was mistaken. Yes. Well, I don't know. <laughs> maybe if you go to the bathroom a lot in the musical that you call your life, you could count it as that. Maybe. Let's all go to the Muni. Woo! Sometimes I wonder if if we uh, overuse the term last responsible moment, or if we misuse it. I can guarantee we do. Do we overuse it or misuse it, Lee? I, I don't think we misuse it. We definitely overuse it. We overuse it, and actually we did a presentation, and it actually I developed a Lego game that we presented here in the St. Louis area uh, back in June of 2014, uh, where we basically allow teams to explore what the last responsible moment is, because they have a, a challenge to build some Lego, and there's actually an incentive if they wait to start building, okay, because they wait, because if anything, they can learn from other people that might start before them and make mistakes. But there becomes a point where if you don't start, you're at a competitive disadvantage and you'll never catch up. And that is a highly fluid situation. So in a Lego game, it's very interesting to see how that flushes out. So um, we just did that, unfortunately, at, at our next uh, Lean Kanban meeting here in St. Louis, where we're going to do a different topic, but maybe we can do that again at a future meeting. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. All right, our topic tonight is going to be at least one of our topics tonight. We're going to start with one topic, and we've got maybe two or three that we're going to try and get to. Hopefully, one of them's kind of a fun one. But our first topic is... The other ones suck. The other ones are awesome. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was just the fact that you said one of them was going to be a fun one. 
Well, more fun than normal. <laughs> okay. Super well, extra I, fun. I think our first topic is going to be fun. Period. Okay. Awesome. Let's go. And what is it, John? What is the role of the project manager in the Agile world? Discuss. Okay, so <laughs> I think I put that in there. and This is something that's out there. Uh, we almost need to aim us for this because I want to start by, let's talk about Scrum. And in Scrub, you know, Scrub is a, they have roles. And again, back at episode 55, you could have a half hour of John and Lee discussing the roles of Scrub and, or sorry, John and Amos talking about the roles of Scrum. But there's, again, let's talk, let's, let's go over them. There's a what? A product owner. There is a Scrub master. And then there is a T. And that's it. There is no project manager. So if you're a project manager, what do you do? Well, there we go. Discussion's over. There, there's no role for project managers, so. We can go on to topic two. So yep. okay, done. Okay, well, no, no, no but okay, but let's be real. Oh, and John, oh, okay. Well, oh, John. Okay, but again, John, you you're co- coaching in a big corporate environment, you know, where there are lots of project managers there, and you're you know kind of helping to facilitate a transformation. So if you encounter a project manager, what do you do? Or do you immediately try to align them to be a scrum master or a product owner, or are there other things they might be able to do? What classically has been the role of a product manager, even in like a waterfall, the old methods? Well, pr- uh, sorry, project manager, not product. That's a different thing. Sorry, project manager. Project manager. Schedule tracker. Yeah, so schedule, budget, risk, you know, the the classic, what they call the project management triangle from PMI, where you're, you're tracking basically on a triangle, you're tracking schedule, you're tracking budget, and you're tracking risk. And there's a whole set of disciplines that go along with that. And effectively, you're tracking that. You're making sure the people on the project are aware of that. You're briefing leadership on what that is. And as risks come up, you're saying, if we need to mitigate this risk, how does it affect the other parts of the triangle? That being uh, schedule and budget. Okay. So those particular tasks, those jobs, are they still, are they not needed anymore? Well, I think a lot of them are. Like if you're doing Scrum or, or any any type of a, a self-managing team, that's something that's that falls to the onus of the team. So if, if you're on a team, and I've coached teams, actually an idea that I got actually came out of discussions that was at the, uh, the Modern Management Methods Conference this year, is to do something like as a team to track a risk burn down. So as a team, you would go and you would identify all the possible risks your project has. And you would do that as a team activity. So not a single person activity. And then you would do something to actually associate a quantitative value with those risks. You could use Fibonacci, but something where you could see them. And then over the course of the project, the team should be working towards eliminating some of those risks and communicating with your stakeholders and working to get to where everyone involved is okay with the level of risk in the project. Jason, what I'm hearing is that there aren't a lot of needs in an Agile team than for a project manager because what I hear you describing and Lee describing is that the team is tracking its own schedule or the team is coming up with ways to manage risk and the team is doing all of the things that were previously done by someone who carried the title as project manager that's just kind of been those responsibilities have been disseminated out throughout the team. Yeah, that's correct. And, and most importantly, I mean, some project managers, especially on large projects, you know, they would do task assignments. They'd say, okay, you know, you got the project plan from Microsoft Project, and, you know, for the next 20 days, John, you're working on the login service, and you're going to be working on it for 20 days. That's what we got a plan for. Go do that. And they would actually delegate work to you, and they would 
do a lot of the things that now agile teams have practices like daily stand up and they might have, you know, a story backlog and you're working for the backlog. You're measuring the flow and you're measuring a burn down. And the team is doing those activities as a team. They might be using a tool to help them report the data. Those activities are not needed in particular for deciding what to do. You're probably using, you know, your, if you're using Kanban, you might have some team rules about, Hey, if you needed something to work on, you pull the top priority story off the board and you work on it. And you don't need a project manager to tell you to do that. The team self delegates work to whoever is available to do it. I've worked with a number of very competent project managers over the tenure of my career. And unfortunately, I think the predominant focus that a project manager has is on process. And they're always trying to come up with or solve things with process, putting additional processes in place to deal with bugs, to deal with quality, to deal with risk, rather than trying to lean out a process to allow the team to focus more on delivery of software and less on just running through process and having meetings and good meeting minutes and action items for that meeting. You know, I'm more interested in producing software, usable software, getting it out into an environment where users can use it and less concerned about process and meeting minutes and action items. So, and John, I have to also add that one thing that I've seen project managers do a lot is they will add more and more process in order to uh, to gather metrics about things that are of no real value. They're just there to put down on paper so they can have nice graphs to show their bosses. So, but on that, so let, let's let's try to focus though, because I think for risk, if you're on a good team where everyone's committed to the vision. The team should be unified about, you know, identifying and resolving risks because that impacts your ability to deliver. The one that I want to talk about is budget. So you're working on a project, you got a budget, you know, money's not a infinite resource unless you work at Google. Uh, who does that? Does that go to the team? Have you guys ever seen it done at the team level? Because that's the one function that on some teams I've seen where the project manager is still kind of trying to reconcile a budget that's probably been set in a really, really bad way. That's a separate discussion we need to talk about beyond budgeting sometime. But nonetheless, there's a budget, and they're trying to figure out if the team's going to be able to finish the product or the project with the money that's available. Yeah, that that's typically, in the worlds that I've lived in, that's always been an accounting function, and even the project manager isn't really responsible for that. The project manager might be responsible for ensuring that everyone is appropriately collecting their time and reporting their time, but then... The function of tracking the burn of the project against the budget falls back to some accountant in the finance department that produces a report for senior management on a weekly or monthly basis that says, here's how these projects are burning. And you don't need a project manager to do that. And it's certainly not anything that's a full-time job. It's maybe an hour or two a week per project to do that. Oh, so it's another one of those admin jobs that you do kind of being a product owner like we talked about last week. Yeah, okay. I think a product yeah. a product owner could do it. Uh, anybody could really do it. It's it's a simple set of uh, steps to track the burn of the project. Well, the one thing though, that I just want to, and, and John, I echo, because I've seen that in multiple environments too, where the actual reconciliation of the budget data occurs in an environment that is very far removed from the team. And so with that comes... I'm going to say significant risk because if there's accounting has fidelity on the budget of the team and the project and what's being spent 
and that information is not making it back to the team, so they can then reconcile the budget and the burn of the budget against the burn of the backlog, you could be working along and you might, do you know if you're going to make it? So there's the need to merge those two data sets. In a perfect world, I wish there was a way you could do that on the team, but a lot of teams aren't set up to do that because they're so focused on, you know, the development activities and or the accounting system that actually, you know, reconciles the budget is not accessible to the team. Well, you take the line that represents the burn down of the budget and you put that line on top of the line that is the burn down of the work that needs to be completed for the project. And wherever those two lines land at the bottom of the chart is going to help you determine whether or not you're going to be able to complete the project within budget. And there's nothing magical that any person does to ensure that a a project lands on budget other than, you know, motivating a team and using good practices to focus on delivering working software rather than collecting your time entry into the system. Okay. Yeah, John, I agree, but let's let's do a real-life test here, okay? Lee's working on a project right now, we happen to know, where they've got a fixed-bid project, and do you have that, Graffley? Like, do you know how you're doing on your story bird against your budget bird as a team member? Not the budget. And see, I think that's, again, if you're trying to be a high-performing, self-managing team, the team needs to have all of the information that's related to the success of the project at its disposal so the team can make solid team decisions. But I bet there's a person that Lee could go to, and Lee, maybe you tell me if this isn't true, where you could say, about when's the budget going to run out? Give me a a two-week window based on blended rate, 40-hour work week, number of people on the team, multiply all those things together, and that's how much money you're going to spend over a week. I could go and get that that information. The um, What we do have is a like a pie chart of total number of hours for the project, and there's a pie chart right next to it of total amount of work that uh, that we've gotten done. And so we you compare those those two numbers. Now they're they're not going to lay over exactly like a like a burn down chart, but it is you do get them side by side. So that's kind of what you guys are looking for, but it's more yeah. of an estimate. Well, that and again, what I'm just saying though is again, if you from having unfortunately when I was in business school, I invested some time going through the project management track. And again, if you are a project manager, you're taught techniques to try to help projects finish on time and on budget. And how's, that, how's that worked out so far? Well, again, I haven't seen a <laughs> uh, separate discussion. Okay, since I learned all that stuff, <laughs> and then I went to work for this crazy agile company that said we don't do that. Although, even because in that it crazy, doesn't work. Uh, at the end of the day, well, again, that's a budgeting issue. And again, we should talk about, you guys should go read about Beyond Budgeting. We should talk about it because it's a different way to manage how you do work. But nonetheless, Lee, how many decisions do you think your team makes in a day? Oh oh my gosh, Uh, a bunch. Uh, I would say order of 20 to 30. So the only thing that I want to draw focus to here is to say that, you know, we're talking about some information that's pretty critical to the success of the project because ideally you want to try to finish the project either on or under budget. And you're making decisions and the whole team doesn't have a good reminder about where they are with that budget. So that to me is just something, again, if you're, if you're looking for ways, if you're on a team and you want to go from good to great, get an understanding of, you know, where you are on a budget. If you're fortunate enough to, um, 
maybe not have a hard budget because you're it's more of an R and D project. Work with your stakeholders and see if they you know kind of get have them give you like a, a limit. Maybe even if it's a soft limit, but as, as a team, learn how to manage within that. It will make you a better team. And then if you're on a project that has a fixed budget, you'll be more familiar with how to talk about it and how to make decisions so that you ensure that you keep scope and sync with the budget that's available. Um, one version that I've seen of that is a business value burn down, which is this is the business value of the stories that, that we've been given. And of course, we want to do the ones that are the highest value first. And that doesn't always happen from a practical standpoint. But seeing a business value, value burn down, uh, I think helps a lot too. We've discussed this before, and, and I like the business value burn down or burn up or however you want to calculate that. But we've talked a little bit about this before on the show with our friend Nate Mackey, who I miss terribly. I wish he would come back and join us at some point soon. Hopefully we'll have to try and make that happen. There's a fundamental principle here within Agile that I think we need to go back to as a foundation for our conversation. And that principle is that we deliver, continuously deliver working software so that, you know, at any given time, the customer can say that's I've spent enough money. And in following that principle and following that course of action, you're, you're on a natural path to where you're continuously delivering working software. And if, if you've spent all of the client's money or the client is out of money and they need the software as it is, you can give that to them, right? Because it works. It's been working since very early in the time that you were spending the money. Is it important to be judicious with how you're spending the money? Yes. And that's why we prioritize the most important work first. And we continually reprioritize that to say, are we working on the right things? Are we delivering you the right stuff? Is this what you want? Rather than worrying about managing a budget because, you know, we spend a certain part of the budget on requirements and a certain part of the budget on development and a certain part of the budget on testing. You don't have to worry so much about that because you're spending the whole part of the budget on continuously delivering working software. Okay, but l- let me use that and, and see if I can pivot us a little bit in the discussion. Okay, and I guess I'm the person who loves to sh- change our focus because I want to get us back to the idea of project managers. And I, what we're starting to get to is where I think there is a role for project management within an agile environment, and that is at the PMO level. And so a project management office. Because, John, when we're talking about a business value burn down, what I see and have seen and have even coached project managers in a PMO to do is to say, look across your portfolio of projects and look at the business value burn down for each team and make a decision. This team has like four sprints left and they've got so many business value units left. And guess what? Since it's a project that's been going on for some time, there's low business value in what's left in that project. Now there's this new idea that just came out of some innovation day we had that has significant business value if we get started on it. And what that project management office can do is say, you know what? What would give us better value to our organization? Do we actually stop this project that's almost done where we've achieved most of the value and actually then shift the team and the people to work on this new idea and get that started because as soon as we start delivering those stories we just identified, we're actually going to be adding more value to our organization than if we finish this other project that's almost done. And unless you have a project management office who's looking across your projects and looking at all the backlogs, you're not going to be able to make that decision. 
I see what you're saying, and I'm trying to avoid getting upset because I, I have something again. Uh, I think that there's a place for something called a project management office. I guess. Oh I mean, my goodness! Is there? Can we have a center of excellence too no. for Amos? <laughs> Oh, darn it. Okay, fine. I'll take my project management office. I think it's awesome. Yay. What I really want to see out of a project management office is exactly what you described, Jason, where they're helping leadership navigate and react and adjust in an agile fashion to emerging markets, emerging requirements, rather than being the people that produce status reports and publish them to leadership and keeping track of budgets. Because to me, that's what happens with a PMO is they just become these people that are gathering statistics, reports, status reports, and then publishing them out. They're not doing the things that you described, which is helping leadership react to changes. Yeah. Yeah. And again, looking across, because again, if you're, I mean, one of the criticisms of Scrum and the criticisms of Agile, especially in corporate environments, is that it's very, the way it's defined, and you know, from the, especially Scrum. You know, Scrub is a single, when it was created, it is a single team practice. Great. If you're a startup and you have one team, awesome. If you're doing a project for a client and you have one team, awesome. If I am a corporation and I have 200 developers who maintain a portfolio of 100 applications that let me run my business, these ideas of all these little teams is the scariest thing I've ever heard because how am I ever going to get anything done for to support my entire organization? Does that make sense? I think that's the other side of the discussion is a project management office isn't necessary for small, thin companies, right? They're necessary when you have really big departments and you've got a large budget and lots of projects working on lots of things and it's really hard to keep track of where the opportunities in that organization are at. Yeah, no, I agree. So, okay, so I think John and, and Lee, you could give me a thumbs up, thumbs down. So we're saying this idea of looking across teams and looking at, you know, the business value that has been achieved by each team and if it makes sense for a team to maybe shift or I know I'm going to channel Amos because I know on episode 55, I heard, I think Amos was channeling me a little bit. John yeah. even kind of was poking at him about it. But I know Amos loves to talk about the video from Heinrich Kleinberg that talks about, you know, product ownership in a nutshell. It's like 15 minutes about Agile. And one of the things he points out in that video, which I think is awesome, is that if you have a team, you could start to ramp the team down by having it work on stories from different backlogs. So maybe a team's ramping down in this project, which the PMO has decided to deprioritize and ultimately phase out. Guess what? Just if this other project has been specced up and you've written the stories for it, just start to inject those stories from that that new product backlog into that team that's already there, and the team just keeps rolling. And they the team might actually commit to two different repositories, but there's ways to manage that with with a task board and different things. So that's a great idea, I think. So, but you can't get to that unless you have a PMO that's looking across your portfolio and helping you make those decisions. The key is I don't. You know, using some of these queuing theory tactics that you're talking about, at least it sounds like you're talking about to me, Jason, are important. And I think there's strategies that you can use there. But I don't, you know, this PMO needs to kind of be a set of junior leadership and not just not just people that are these PMI certified robots that are are doing things. They They need to really be out there in the know on what's going on in the projects so that they can help make some of these informed recommendations to leadership to say, let's shift gears on this project and ramp up with other work and make those sorts of tactical course-changing decisions. 
So let, let me give you, okay, so managing development capacity across teams by business value sounds like, John sounds like he likes it. Lee, does that sound like it's any value? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, and from a single team perspective, uh, nobody on a, on a given team is going to care about anything beyond their little world. And so you have to have some person or group that's dealing with overall strategy. So let me try another thing I've seen a few PMOs do, which I, I think this is good. Actually, I've been talking to Spiel lately. I've been strongly recommending a few organizations consider this. What about this idea of having like a standard team model? And the, and the PMO figures out what that is. And that doesn't, this is not for Amos, if you're listening, this is not telling you how to write your code. But this is saying that, you know, if you got a project and you want to have what I would say, let's say we have a small team, a medium team, and a large team. And based upon the size and the scope of a project, you decide what size team you want to have. And what the, the PMO then maintains is what the definition of these teams are. And when I say definition, it's going to kind of be, you know, who are the people on the team? And also, what is the average, what is the cost of that team for a period of time? So a PMO would actually kind of figure that out. It would work with accounting and they would do some cost modeling to determine what those are. And what they could do is someone comes to the PMO says, I want to do a project. And they're like, okay, great. How big is the project? Oh, it's a big project. Okay. Well, we have a medium team and we have a large team. And this is the burn rate. For both of those teams, and it enables your organization to go back and say, okay, well, I, I like this idea. I want to invest in it to this amount. And basically, you're saying, okay, I got a team. You know you could fund the project for three months. And if you're using Agile, you can get started, work on it for three months, and you should have some working software, and then you can decide what to do next. Does I don't disagree. Sense, or? I, yeah, I don't disagree with the logic behind it. However, it starts to feel a lot like... Uh, what people hate about project managers, which is treating their people as resources. I'm trying to say that the, what the PMO would do would basically kind of define, you could use it's a class of service or I, it, to me, it's a product. It's like small team, medium team, large team. And of course the people make the team, but you could say that there's some ways you could say based upon, you know, cost, what is that cost? And again, I go back and if I'm the executive in charge and I see an idea, I'm like, hey, I like that idea. I, I want to give that idea a chance and I know I can invest and I could do a three-month pilot project with a small team on this idea and this is exactly what it will cost me. I could decide to do that. Then I could take the people and I could tell the people on that team, guys, this is your project for three months. So I don't have to deal with matrix staffing and all the all the co the context changes that occurs. Those people go off for three months. They work on that project, that backlog. They come back. The business decides, what do you want to do? Do you want to keep a small team? Do you want to cancel the project? Do you want to increase to a medium team? And you've got standard cost models you could use to make all those decisions. I feel like the whole conversation is kind of a slippery slope because I feel like in some cases, if I give in to this idea, Jason that I'm backsliding down this path of being less and less agile. But I know that in reality that there needs to be some sort of a balance, that their departments that are spending millions of dollars need some ability to track where that money's going, make sure that they're putting the money into the right buckets for the business and for the company, and that there is some layer in there within the company that could be beneficial to leadership and to the company to keep an eye on on how all of that's tracking, where all of that's going, and making sure that they're doing, you know, making sure that those things are happening. But, again, it I just feel, it, it feels dirty. Really? It feels dirty to me. See, to me, I almost see it as an element of respect for people. 
Because what you're doing is you're taking the people on those teams and through that idea of a team model, you're basically having leadership say, guys, we trust you as a team. We ask you to use the values, principles, and practices of Agile to build working software that is deliverable frequently. And because of that, we're going to invest this amount of money, which means your team will be working on this project for three months. And because we know what that costs up front, we can basically say that's your only priority. And so it's a great way to go against organizations where they have a matrix organization and you've got people that are constantly changing between projects and teams and they change so much they really don't get anything done on any project. Uh, I think the key here is in an ideal situation with the a great project manager that is uh, that is doing all of the uh, the work that you're talking about, Jason, and doing it with the right attitude and and that sort of thing. Then yeah, it's a great thing, and it's the same thing on the agile side too. By the way, if you can look at the ideal version and say, oh, it sounds great. Here's the logic, but then there's always that piece there that we're talking about real human beings here that are going to overreach in some cases, underreach in some cases. Um, there's going to be fluctuations. And so trying to promise here's exactly what it's going to cost. And I was, I was really interested in the use well, of the word exactly because to me it's all about probabilities. Here's the prop, this is likely what you're going to, what it's going to cost. And I think the attitude is different when you're talking about when you start to push uh, a large scale management structure. How far is that going to push in? Let me be clear on what, what I'm advocating for here, because again, what got us down this rabbit hole was focusing on the, pri- the part of the project ma- management triangle about budget. And so what I do want to be exact on is saying that, you know, we're, we want to get to where we can empower organizations to make really solid budget decisions to say that, you know what, we're going to agree as an organization to invest in this project and this, the team that will support the project for three months. We don't know what they're going to do because they're going to start working. They're going to start building. They're going to start, you know, working with their product owner and doing that iterative development process we talk about all the time. But if I'm the leadership of the organization, I know I've basically just written a check for three months. And because we're using Agile, I'm going to get some value out of it. And so you can start to manage your budget at the organization. And again, you have less fidelity about what's going to be built. And if anything, to lead to your point, that's where the innovation and that's where kind of that probability kicks in. And you're trusting that the people on the teams are going to do the right thing that's in the best interest of the business. So you have to have that trust. But the nice thing is that you can take a step back and say, hey, in three months, I can reassess and I can decide what I want to invest in next. All right. So to to wrap this up, because... We want to get on to our next topic, but no, still, we don't. We want kinda... to talk about project managers all night long. No, we don't. We, oh, we, yes, we do. We started off talking about project managers, but then got into this conversation of a project management office, which to me, those are two significantly different things serving different roles. And I think the role of project manager in an agile environment is greatly diminished by the fact that those responsibilities that were previously taken on 100% by a project manager are mostly absorbed by the rest of the team using the whole team approach. And the other things, if you have gone through the PMI track, is 
they fall into this kind of genre of what is called Agile PMO, which is why we were talking about it, because it's not a personal job anymore, but it's more of a function that an Agile PMO would support for the good of the organization. And I do concede that there's maybe an opportunity there for an Agile PMO in large organizations with lots of projects, big departments, lots of money going on, but it's not ideal for everyone and your mileage may vary. That's a good way to put it, John. So different strokes for different folks, or as many people say, it all depends on the context. Guys, I have one word for you. Ahoy. You know what that means? Ahoy. It means that CodeShip is back as a sponsor of This Agile Life. That's right, everyone. Our friends at CodeShip are back sponsoring the show. CodeShip is so simple to use. You can get your project set up and building on CodeShip in as little as three minutes. If you're not using CodeShip, then you're spending more time on continuous delivery than necessary. Our good friends at CodeShip won't even ask you for a credit card when you go to get started. I know, I've done it. What are you waiting for? Maybe you're worried that you'll run into a problem or that you'll have trouble getting started. Fear not, my friends. If you need help getting started, you'll find all the help you need on the CodeShip blog at blog.codeship.io. Plus, their blog has tons of interesting and helpful posts and videos to help you elevate your continuous delivery. If all else fails, the good people at CodeShip are easy to reach and they're always happy to help. Few things in life are easy, but this is one of them. Let CodeShip make continuous delivery simple for you. Go and visit codeship.io slash thisagilelife and use the code thisagilelife when you sign up and you'll receive a 20% discount for three months on any paid plan. How can you beat that? Uh, so, John, I, wait, I waited for a directive from my architecture review board to tell me to use CodeShip. Oh, please. <laughs> so, John, I uh, I recently in an episode while we were at uh, Agile Link, I said sweat the small stuff. I say that continuous integration is one of those things that you should sweat the small stuff and let somebody else sweat the small stuff and let CodeShip do it. I agree with you, Lee. Thanks to CodeShip for sponsoring this Agile Life. All right, guys, let's go on to our next topic. And Lee turned us on to this. So we're going to play bits of a video clip. There, there was this great show. And Lee, did you watch the whole series? I have not watched the whole series. I've only watched pieces of it. I mean, it, 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 it might take you like maybe seven or eight hours to watch the whole first series. We're talking about Silicon Valley on HBO. It was only seven or eight episodes. It was like a, like a mini pilot sort of series. And it was really great. I, I enjoyed it a ton. We're going to play a clip from Silicon Valley where they talk about using Scrum. And we'll stop the clip at certain points along the way. Be warned. If you have children in the car, this is a, a show produced for pay television, so there's uh, curse words in there. Not you know, you know, with us and Amos that we occasionally like to drop a few curse words anyway. But uh, having said that, let's jump right in. And this is a clip where a, a small development team they're having some struggles with their project. They've got this guy who who's kind of a he's kind of a project manager sort of guy. He's kind of an administrative sort of guy. Well, that's their first mistake, John, because we just right. determined they don't need him. Right, exactly. He's totally this and this guy on the show is totally worthless. So why are we talking about this? Let's move on. Well, ah, <laughs> this will this will be fun. Ready? Here we go. 
We could have withdrawn your application before any of this happened. This is exactly why we need to have clear lines of communication. I know, Jared, I know. Listen, I'd like to institute an organizational system called Scrum. Scrum is designed specifically... All right, you have one hour, go. Okay, is Scrum an organizational system? I want to start at the back. They got it right. Because Scrum is a system, it's a process that we could debate its tactics, but it does force you to communicate. So right. they mentioned that. That's good. Let's keep going here. Okay. No. no. This is musty. Uh, what's going on? Guildfall bet me a hundred bucks that if I touched one object in this room, he could find it just by sniffing. Okay. Uh, not now, please. No, it has to be now. I just masturbated to hide my focus. <laughs> I have a 15-minute refractory period. Ow. Uh, well, we have a lot of work to get done, so maybe we should do that instead, please. Dude, relax, okay? We each ripped through a full module this morning. We're just taking a little break. DRM is now a thing of beauty. Wait, you did DRM? Yeah. I did DRM. Why did you do DRM? I said Gee, I would I do just, DRM, you would do... I guess I didn't... Uh... They didn't pay attention to uh, who was doing what. Huh? They, they no, didn't no visibility? Is that they it? didn't communicate, Jason. Well, they didn't communicate, but it also says that they aren't focused. So No, um, they're very I, focused. Well, okay, but again, just to be fair, I mean, Scrum is a process, but you can, a lot of teams are going through the motions of Scrum, but if they're not focused and engaged, that this is a great thing to show that Scrum as a process can find that, so because they have tasks identified. We haven't got that we got to the part yet, but they actually have a Scrum board up, which shows what they're doing. It has all their tasks on a wall, and uh, it, it's transparent. So these guys, it sounds like a lot of teams where I'm going to say they're being a little bit lazy and following the process the way it uh -oh. is prescribed. Uh-oh, prescribed processes. Let's see where this <laughs> well, goes. Well, no, Error but handling. Scrub is Anything a prescribed to do with process. Anything sounds like your whole vibe. Yeah, I handle errors scrum? every day. You yes, Scrub. You make my Scrub. <laughs> So, from rules-based filtering, we go to workflow, at which point that card is moved from the icebox into the in-progress. Okay, they've got this board up on the wall now, and he, yeah. he's calling the to-do column, or the ready column, he's calling that the icebox, which I love. I think we should change all of our, <laughs> our ready columns to icebox. That's fine. I think that's kind of quirky. It's a it's a neat team thing. So, I actually, I would encourage teams to, if anything, if you're doing scrub, you know, we're here on This Agile Life where the sub, our subtitle should be This Agile Life, Anything But Scrum, is personalize your process to make it reflect the people on your team. It actually might make work more fun, and if sure. work is more fun, people will be more motivated to do it, and they'll do better quality work. So I think that's a great idea. Now, here's the thing. As, as we're watching this clip, now he's Jared, the administrative pain-in-the-butt guy. He's up at the board. He's up at the what I would call a Kanban board and not a Scrum board. He's up at this Kanban board. They've got features down the left-hand side, and then the features are broken out into stories. And this is not bad. This board is not bad. But yeah, and one thing I just want to say, John, about that, and I know I'm call, I actually I'm going to call it a Scrum board for a reason, and that is where Kanban as a process methodology or as a improvement methodology is really got to people have lost focus on Kanban is really about improvement and all they do is they think it's just a bunch of cards on the wall or a card wall. So again, Scrub to its credit, when Scrub came out early on, they were saying, put all your Scrub tests on a Scrub board and use it to make your work transparent. They weren't talking about improvements, which is Kanban, but they were talking about visualizing your work, which is part of lead or Kanban. It's, it's a supporting practice, but again, it's not, 
you know, and, and if you watch the video, they're kind of pushing cards. So they're really not following Kanban where they're limiting whip. They're simply using that board to make their work transparent. All right, all right. Let's let's let let's let the clip play out because I want to come back to the, some of those points. But let's okay, let that's fine. Stays we can, we can, there we can, until it is ready for testing. Okay, this increases visibility into our team's progress. That's Which true. That's Which good. Is scrum visibility is good, but Welcome that is to not the next scrum. Weeks of our lives. This just became a job. Okay. So here are the cards I'm adding under this epic for the ingestion engine, and there are three stories here. How long do we think each one will take? I don't know. Who cares? Four hours a piece? No yeah. estimates. Maybe for you, each one of those tasks would take me three max. Not tasks, stories. I've got a story. Why don't you choke on my balls? <laughs> well, unnecessary. Why don't you each take one story, right? Okay. And we'll see who's right. You see what he's doing, right? He's trying to get us to compete so we work faster. He thinks this wall of psych 101 MBA mind control bullshit is going to motivate us. Fine. Don't compete. Do them at whatever speed you like. Uh, Jared. All right. We'll have a link to the clip in the show notes. That's probably enough for our purpose for so- our discussion tonight. Okay, but so he's right. So he's like, dude, just go work on this stuff, and guess what? He's going to get some metrics, and you're going to find out what your capacity is. Now, it sounds like this team has some whole team approach issues, because I don't get that everyone's kind of you not you know working together towards a common goal. But, again, I think there's a lot of potential here that, again, a coach could come in. You could fix this pretty easily. Okay, absolutely. I, I want to point out, though, that back to the Kanban scrum thing, I don't think anything about what was described in this in this sitcom vignette of a software development team has remotely anything at all to do with Scrum. All they're doing is taking that word and using it in a funny way because it's kind of a funny sounding word and it doesn't have anything at all to do uh, in terms of technology, right? Scrum is a borrowed term from rugby, and and I just think that they're trying to use it and they and they show one key element of managing work as this work board. I'm now going to call it a work board because I don't think it applies to any sort of more descriptive set of things than it's just this work board that they've got work on. It's it's a task board. I mean, we've had task boards in factories. Yeah, (laughs) we've had boards in factories. And again, it's about... a story for you. It's about making work transparent, which is, again, a great practice the thing is, Kanban as a method does have some specific rules about how you make your work transparent, and then once you make it transparent, how you manage completing it and focusing on WIP or w- limiting yeah. your work in progress. So, so it was fair to say it's not a Kanban board. I also think it's fair to say it's not a Scrum board because there are things that are missing. Jason, you alluded to this, and of course, it's hard to demonstrate this in the sitcom format. But there's nothing about continuous improvement. So. I can yeah. see the argument against calling it a Kanban board. There's yeah, also not the focus on continuous improvement and planning and sprint planning and, well, no, and but that they, with Scrum. But even, but even in the two little two-minute clip we have there, and actually I've watched, I've seen that episode, so they got a little bit deeper in the whole episode. Like the idea where they talk about the feature-to-story breakdown and the fact that, that I actually like this if you watch the clip specifically, and it, it plays out a little, in a little bit more detail in the full episode, you actually, he does that as he pulls the story out of the icebox. So instead of doing all this planning in advance, and heaven forbid we were to write a big requirements document, 
they're kind of doing the pattern that I know Lee likes when, you know, you pull the story from the backlog. And when you pull the story from the backlog, that's when the team gets together and hashes out and has a turnaround about what to do. So that's a good practice, which I think is a good thing that we're showing to the world that, you know, we don't need to be sitting around planning for four years about what we want to do. We need to write a post-it note, put it in the icebox, and when we actually get ready to do it, we should then figure out what it really means. And that's good. So the other thing I would like to point out is that this sitcom is doing exactly what I think businesses and around the world are doing with Agile and Scrum, and, and that is just taking the pieces that they think they understand and trying to implement those, and then missing whole chunks of, of things that are really useful. Sure. Yeah, and sure. It's, again, it's hard, to, it's hard to convey. They don't do a bad job of for the, the team of three people, three and a half people, if you count the walking pain in the ass with the green sweater on that proposes the idea. <laughs> hey, I'm sorry, Jason, you have a green sweater too, I know. <sighs> I do. I'll go put it on. <laughs> you're I'm, you're mad because I said green sweater. No, but, uh, you said project manager. <laughs> right. They they don't do a bad job, and it's fun and neat, sort of, to see that on a television show that they're talking about our business. They're talking about terms that we deal with every day, and it's pretty realistic. It's sort of so, realistic, you know. It's so, it's not too far off the mark. Okay, so those guys, let's let's play this out. Those guys are a self-managing team, or so they're portraying to be. And would you maybe perhaps say, John, that that green sweater dude, yeah. the project manager, ugh, is he's attempting to instill a bit of accountability into the people that he is working with to complete the project? Yeah, I mean, he makes a good suggestion. Which is something that, again, I, that's where I see teams, you know, they fail the respect test because you've got someone, maybe there's a person on your team who is who maybe understands the vision more and they get it. And as a result, they're going out and they're kind of working to promote accountability amongst others because, hey, dude, we need to get that story done to get this thing. Done. I forget what their feature was, but we need to get that done. Are you going to get it done? How long is it going to take? Those are not bad questions that you should be asking. You know, and everyone on the team should be asking everyone else those questions. What I see a lot is where there's only one person on the team who's bought into the vision. And unfortunately, then it becomes like, you know, the evil project manager that's going around and cracking the whip. And I would say that, guess what? The way to do that is not to start micromanaging and telling people what to do, is to say, invest in helping your team understand what the vision is so they're intrinsically motivated to do what they need to do to help the team be successful. I think it's interesting that the one developer points out that this is psych 101 mind control bullshit. Because if you're in that person's shoes... I could see myself evoking the same sort of a reaction to this proposal. You're trying to pit me against the other guy by putting all of our work up on a board and keeping track of what I accomplish and what he accomplishes and making that all transparent. It's like a leaderboard. It's like a leaderboard for software developers, right? You're keeping track of what I do and showing everybody this is what I've done and this is what I do and, and you want me to do more than him so that I'll do more overall. Okay, but so, so heaven forbid we gamify our work and make it where there's a little bit of fun involved. I mean, and, and, and to me, I actually think that there's the way that they say, you know, maybe I can get three stories done today and then, okay, I, this other guy only got one story done. 
To me, that's an interesting discussion to have with a team that might flush out some problems. Okay, I got three stories done today because I'm a rock star, and then the stories were really well written. And this other poor guy, he only got one done because he, he just like you and Ames, uh, John, you and Ames were talking back in episode 55, you know, about the story that just says, fix it. So that guy went up to the board, he pulled the story that said, fix it, and because it was such a poorly written story, it took him all day. That is a team discussion to have to say, guys, as a team, we need to agree to write better stories. And if you have that type of data and you're having that competition, it's going to drive that conversation with the team. What you have to be careful about, though, here, Jason, is that I'm okay with gamification. I'm okay with people. I love people have fun at work. I want them to have fun. But what I don't want to see happen is that it starts to become a real competitive thing where people start undermining each other and holding back information and cherry-picking stories, right? So you have to make sure that you manage that, that you watch out for that, that you coach around that and, and encourage people to not get backed into those traps of worrying about how many stories you clear. And so you don't want to make that the primary motivator. I'm, no, I'm, I'm no. okay with it being a, you know, visualizing the work and showing the work that's going on that absolutely has benefits and side effects that will include people being more responsible and accountable for what they do. But I don't want it to become a thing where people are trying to sabotage each other or not yeah. working together because I'm not going to help you, Jason, because if I help you with your story, then I can't get my three stories done, right? Yeah, and, and the specific thing before I think Lee wants to guess, but job related that that I, that I want to talk about. This is why you do some type of a team working arrangement. And when I say team, maybe you're doing pair programming, maybe you're doing mobbing, but you don't work at the individual contributor level on a team. That way, everyone is incentivized to work together. You know, it's not like Lee can get the most points by simply cranking out six stories. Maybe the way you could do that simply is, guess what? If Lee and his pair, if they get a story done, they each get half a point. And by that, you're taking that incentive and that gamification. You're not doing it at the individual level, but you're doing something where it's now at the team level and it becomes more fun and it's less head-to-head. Does it make sense? I think there's one other thing here that I've seen on Teams. First off, he gave an entire story to a single indiv- individual with the, with no expectation that you're ever going to have any team code ownership here. You're you're going to have one person that's going to know whatever that piece of code is. So there's there's no there's no switching and and passing along. And the fact that uh, those individual stories now there's there's no telling what's going to come up on those. Yeah, and again, that's where if you do pair programming, literally all that goes away. Because if you're doing pairing with a uh, whatever your team's healthy pair switch interval is, again, you're going to say, hey, okay, we pulled a story, but two of us are working on it. A few hours later, if Amos were here, it would be one hour later. You're going to change, and someone else is going to hop on the seat, and they're going to start learning that story. And if you have that discipline, you're going to achieve that, co- that collective code ownership. And there's no point in, in having points per story done at an individual level at that point, because everybody worked on the get- yep. on the stories. Yeah. But to be clear, what we've done, just to be fair to people out there, if you've, you know, read, um, and again, there's a lot of scrum books out there. So Scrum even of itself has kind of evolved and become a little bit broader. 
you know, Scrum is a, they call it, it's a project management process. And I mean, if you, the guys that read the forward of a Scrum book and it will say Scrum is a project management process. So what we're talking here are some engineering practices and some teaming practices that if you are executing Scrum as a project management, we would strongly recommend you instill into your Scrum practice to increase its effectiveness. Because you could read a Scrum book and a Scrum book does not say anything about pair programming. All right. Well, that was that was our fun discussion topic for the night. I think that was very entertaining to see that clip. Did we that. fry that? Did we get it all out? Well, we're kind of out of time, Jason. So. Oh, no, we're just, dude, this is the short episode. We got a long episode. It should be epic. We deli- We continuously delivered value throughout the episode, so um, it's okay for me to, to cut it here. We'd love some feedback on that, by the way. If you don't agree with what John just said, let us know about that. <laughs> Tweet us at This Add Your Life. Thank you. Absolutely. Please tweet us. Let us know. All right, guys, let's go ahead and do our picks tonight. This week's hottest picks. And uh, we'll start first with Jason. So I was trying to be nice. I thought I would do one. I was going to be selfish, but I've decided I'm in a giving mood tonight. So I'm going to do two. So in our project management discussion, I did mention beyond budgeting, which if you're not familiar with it, Google it, or there are a few books about it. I've recommended one um, in the show notes, uh, but we put the Amazon link to it. A good thing to read because it's a different way to manage the budget of an organization. And a lot of the things from the leadership that challenge Agile and the adoption of Agile come from the way that organizations manage their budget cycle, where they're typically managing on a one-year cycle. In some organizations, they might even use a two- or a three-year cycle. And what happens is we're trying to do these little agile projects within those big cycles. And the problem is that just doesn't work because of the feedback loops between reconciling the cost of the project. Beyond budgeting is a different way to solve that problem by managing your budget in shorter cycles, which is very well aligned for lean startup or also for agile. So check it out. Longest pick ever. So the other one that I'm going to plug is um, I have the opportunity this year to present at the Agile 2014 conference in Orlando, which when this comes out will be about a week away. Um, so again, this is summer 2014 if you're listening in the future. And I have a game, which is interesting because it's called Incentivize Us Properly, the game. So it's completely interactive. And again, back on episode 55, uh, John was talking about incentives and, you know, he was looking for ideas for ways you could get his team motivated without, you know, having the mandate they work overtime or something. And uh, this is a game because I've seen that problem come up over and over and over again. This is a game that's designed, you can play it as a team and kind of come up with what your team ideas for how you motivate, or you can actually use the game to interact with your leadership and your organization to say, as a team, this is how we would like to be incentivized. And you go through a collaborative process to design that. You can present it to leadership. Leadership can decide what to do. And then as you're playing the game, various random things occur in the game that are controlled by cards. And you get to learn a little bit about how some of the incentives that you might have selected work. And I'll just say from incentive theory, some work better than others. And if you read books by uh, the book Joy, Inc. by Richard Sheridan or the book uh, Drive by Daniel Pink, he gets into the science. So some of that science and motivational theory has been incorporated into the gameplay. So it's on Wednesday, July 30th, 2014 at 2 o'clock, somewhere in the Gaylord uh, Palms down in Orlando. Come join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. So uh, incentivize us properly the game. That's great, Jason. Congratulations on being selected to present at the Agile 2014 conference. 
Thank you. Maybe we'll take it if it's so awesome. We'll present it again at Agile Games 2015 in Boston next year. Woo! You should definitely do that. Or maybe at a future Agile Link meeting in St. Louis. Yeah. Or maybe maybe this Agile Life should organize an Agile conference. Ooh, like Amos wants to. (laughs) Yeah, we've never talked about that before. It's a lot of work. (laughs) My pick tonight is, uh, just like always with some of these, shameless self-promotion. I am going to be putting on a training class in September. On or about September 5th is when it's scheduled for right now. And I've got 30 slots in the class. Uh, A slot in the class costs $250. But for a select few, 15 people, I'm going to be giving away free slots in the course. Oh, John, you only have 29 because I just signed up. If you pay, you're in. Oh, that's not fair. Why not? It's my class. Oh, that's not fair. Okay, I don't trust you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm going to try and take this class and uh, take aspects of it and turn it into maybe some online training as well. So uh, I'd love it if our listeners would like to sign up and maybe try and get one of those classes, one of those free slots in the class. And even if they don't get the free slot, maybe they'll consider one of the free 15 free slots. Maybe they'll consider signing up and still spending the $250. This will be in St. Louis, Missouri, so you probably want to be local to participate. So apparently there's a, there's a business rule that if, you, if you're a host or you've ever been on this Agile Life, you're not eligible for a free slot. You're signed up. You're eligible. I'm just saying your chances are slim. I don't think your policy is explicit. I think it should be. Ooh. Okay. Ooh. I'll put some governance around my policy. Lee, I love <laughs> governance. Lee, what are your picks? So my first pick is totally back to uh, tactical, in-the-weeds kind of code. We've been using on our Android project recently, we use RoboElectric to do our base unit testing uh, in Android. And we use Android Studio, which is IntelliJ, basically. And we use Gradle as our build system. And those don't always play together nicely. However, there is a great project out on GitHub that happens to be by one of the guys that I work with, Ben Jeske. And he created this awesome plugin that is a RoboElectric Android Studio plugin that connects all these things in a seamless sort of way. And you can use uh, and it injects your mocks for you. It does all the hard work for you. And this is a big thank you to Ben as well for putting this out and putting it out in uh, in open source. So if you go out to get, github.com and and go to uh, Jeske717, that's J-E-S-K-E-717, roboelectric-android-plugin, uh, and we have the link down there as well. It's a great plugin if you're doing any Android coding. The other one is, uh, of course, that link to the to the video that we played earlier. Yeah, Ben's a smart guy. Uh, w- good job, Ben. Nice work on the RoboElectric Android Studio plugin. Sounds Beautifully like Beautifully done. Sounds pretty cool. I'll have to check it out. Guys, that's all we have time for today. Check out thisagilelife.com for these show notes and for all of our past episodes. Jason and Lee, thanks for joining me on the show today. And for all of you out there, thanks for listening and keep living this agile life. This Agile Life is brought to you by a community of Agile developers and coaches aspiring to spread the word about this groundbreaking approach to software development. Join us at thisagilelife.com forward slash community.